welcome to episode six of Splash of Cinema. I'm Pete. I'm John. And today we have a huge episode for you. It's going to be a 2020-centered episode. There's been a lot of difference in this year in film as opposed to last year's with theaters closing and everything. So we will get into that today. But first, I wanted to bring on a guest. We said we'd have a guest on last week, and our guest today is Sam Rosevier. How you doing, Sam? I'm good, Pete. Um, you know, happy to be on the Splash of Cinema pod. I, I, you know, I, I love the pod so far. Uh, you guys are doing a great job, especially, I'll say, with the, the Mandalorian coverage. You know, really helpful as I was finishing that up a couple weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I've known Pete for a long time, and John and I are, have connected over Letterboxd, and, uh, and I love what you guys are doing. So, honored, honored to be on it. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So we're gonna, actually going to start this uh, episode out today. Sam coined to Letterboxd. It's a movie social media app, if you don't know. And you can log movies, you can rate them, you can write reviews. And you can also pay for some premium features it, within the app. So all three of us have Letterboxd Pro. It's the first tier. And there's a stats feature. So right now we're going to go to our stats feature and... To end the year, we're gonna just uh, say some of our like biggest actors that we've watched, a, a bunch of that stuff. So if one of you has it up and wants to start, uh, I'm just curious, who are your most watched actors? I can start. Uh, taking the cake with 16 films easily was Robert Pattinson. I went on a Robert Pattinson bender this year. I tried to watch most of his big films. He really only has like. 20 films that are mainstream at all, and I watch most of them. And then uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Seth Rogen, and Jonah Hill. I'm a big comedy guy, so they all came up. And then Adam Sandler technically ties for third, but we're not going to bring him up. <laughs> That's great. Gotta love the Sandman. Uh, what about you, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised looking at this right now. My, my number one is Catherine O'Hara. Six, six movies. I love me some Catherine O'Hara. And Willem Dafoe. Sweet. Willem Dafoe's good. Willem Dafoe ties with her with uh, six. So, And then I've got Steve Buscemi, James Caan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Harvey Keitel, and Harry Dean Stanton all tied at four. And Robert Pattinson, I think he's got four too, actually. I've got a lot of fours. So, yeah, kind of spread out. What about you, Pete? Uh, so my top is Samuel L. Jackson coming in at 14 films. I mean, a, a lot of it is just the Avengers stuff. I mean, he's in so much of that, as well as Star Wars. I mean, yeah, he is the highest grossing actor of all time, right? I believe so. Yeah, he does a lot. Just because he's in all those big films. Yeah, he gets the bag, man. He does. He gets the bag. And then coming in at second, I have Matt Damon at 10 films. So... You know, I'm a big fan of Ocean's Eleven. It's one of my favorites. So uh, talented Mr. Ripley is up there as well. He's he does so much. Uh, any other stats? I mean, Letterbox has a lot of good features. When you look back, like your year in review, it'll show you your most watched of almost any uh, element of a film. Like it'll show you your most watched cinematographers and art directors and stuff. But um. I can go, I can list my most watched director, which this year was Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I watched a lot of his stuff. 
So that came in with six films. I think I have one or two to go. If you guys have seen Boogie Nights, I haven't seen that one yet. That's a great one. That's a great one. You'll love that one, John. Who's in Boogie Nights? It's Mark Wahlberg. But also, like, ten other people who are have gone on to have great careers, right? Yeah. Uh, so my watch, most watched director, we brought him up in episode two on the pod, is Joel Cohen. I have him at eight films. And then second is actually Ethan Cohen. What about you, Sam? My most watch, you know, unsurprisingly, just represents me as a as a film watcher. My number one is a tie between Claire Denis and Joel Cohen, who I wish more people knew Claire Denis' films. She had a film with Robert Pattinson uh, two or three years ago called High Life, and uh, but all of her movies are great. And um, and then number. Number two is Paul Thomas Anderson, who I would say is my other favorite filmmaker. But Claire Denis, the Coen brothers, Paul Thomas Anderson, those are those are kind of my big three. Um, I, I love everything they do, and and we were lucky enough to get a Coen brothers splash of cinema pod, and I and I loved that. So good job on that one too, guys. Well, maybe we can bring you on for the next one, Sam. Yeah, we. I saw you do have Miller's Crossing in your favorites, uh, so we can definitely bring that one up then. Oh, the Coens just have so much good stuff. We could probably do two or three episodes on them. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're probably the most consistent modern directors. Like, they just, they never, they never make a bad movie. You know, there's some movies that are better, better than others, but they never do anything that you're like, ah, that's not very good. Yeah, I would say that um, I feel the same, like a similar way about PTA. He just hasn't really made anything that majorly missed yet. They're all at least three and a half stars out of five, in my opinion, all his films. Um, now, I haven't seen the early stuff, but like even Inherent Vice, those types of films are, are really good. Yeah, he's 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 probably, I mean, number one or two for me. Um, I'm actually reading a book about him right now that's incredible, that if either of you want to read, I'll, I'll, I'll lend it to you. But um I'm interested. What, what what's your favorite PTA film? I don't want to spend too much time on it, but he's he's a very important person to me. There will be blood. Same here. Uh, there will be blood. It's actually one of my favorite movies, and it's list, it's been listed in my favorites on Letterboxd since I've seen it. I mean, it's I I just think Daniel Day Lewis does such a great job. Plus, you have like the the cinematography, the score, everything about that movie is insane, and I I, I think it's one of the best ones of all time. Yeah, that one, that's pretty undeniable. I, I, I'm a big Phantom Thread guy. Um, I'm, I'm with you there, Sam. I'm with you there. Uh, I will, I will ride for that movie forever. And obviously, Inherent Vice. I, I love that movie. But I mean, he, he doesn't make another guy that doesn't make a bad movie. But I think There Will Be Blood is, you know, it's in the conversation for the best movie made since 2000, right? So yeah, I think we actually brought this up on the the Cohen. A pod episode but we think we both think it's a shame that uh no country for old men and there will be blood for the same year um for awards because either would win best picture um most years but of course they had to be on the same year so there will be blood didn't get the love but no country and that's probably the cohen's best in my opinion and that was the same year yeah i agree with you there it's definitely the best made thing they've ever done um, you know, there are more enjoyable films by them, I'd say. 
but the in terms of the craft it's it's perfect and that the the argument between the two movies which would have which should have won um that's like one of the great film debates right because they're both perfect we had a great discussion there thank you sam i think we have a gauge of your what films you like which you don't like and we'll see that throughout the episode today uh so let's just get into it let's talk about movies that came out this year uh, like I said before, not a lot came out this year, just with theaters being closed. Uh, some studios chose to uh, move stuff to next year or even later than that. Uh, so we'll see. I think we'll see a lot more movies coming out in 2021, uh, just as the country hopes to reopen. I think we will uh, get people back in theaters. Obviously, there is one big movie that came out this year that we we all saw in theaters, I believe, Uh if not, correct me, but, and it made a, it made a lot of money, even though theaters were closed. And I think it was good that it came out and we can even start our discussion off by discussing it. What did you both think of Tenet? I'll let you go first, John. All right. Um, Tenet was the best uh, film I saw in theaters this year, probably because it was the only film I saw in theaters this year, but still, uh, a classic Nolan film, very well made. Uh, we had Ludwig Gordon on the score, which was fire. That, that I could see that score winning um, uh, best score at the Oscars. Uh, you had uh, John David Washington in one of his breakout performances. There was a great uh, villain performance from Kenneth Branagh. A lot of great elements to make one of those kind of confusing, very mind-bending action films um the first time i heard about the the film was because there was a song from travis scott in it which unfortunately didn't come until the end credits but a lot of great elements to make a classic nolan film that plays with the rules of space and time and delivers a lot of iconic action sequences just a good movie especially for theaters yeah i mean I actually didn't see this in theaters. Um, I watched it on my computer um, the way Chris Nolan intended. And uh, and uh, I watched it a couple of days ago preparing for this pod. And, um, you know, I had months of hearing everything about it. So that, that naturally, like, informed me. And I, I some of the criticisms that I heard are criticisms that, people say about all of Nolan's movies, you know, that he, he doesn't really care about the emotions of the characters, um, that his movies are too confusing, uh, that he can get in his own way sometimes. And, I, I, you know, I agree with that here to a certain extent. But at the same time, I'm watching this movie and I just felt myself kind of throw my hands up and go, I can't really believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what level this guy is operating at. I mean, it, it, I've never felt like a director just kind of got out the toy box and set up, you know, just put his actors bouncing around the globe and yachts and, you know, crazy action sequences and bouncing around in time. I mean, it, it, it's just like the craziest movie I've ever seen in my life. And I can't believe he, he pulled it off. Um, so that's kind of how I felt about it was just kind of, you know, it's hard to grade it in comparison to the other movies I saw this year because it's pretty much the only movie this year where I, I, it, it just felt like a giant 
blockbuster where, you know, it still doesn't really make sense to me. Um, although I think it makes more sense than a lot of people are saying it does. But it's just like so fun to watch. It doesn't even have to make sense to you. The stuff that's happening on the screen is so interesting to look at. And really, I thought, fascinating to think about. The people that come away from this movie and they're like, I, I thought that was stupid or I thought that didn't make sense. I, I don't get that because this, this movie is fascinating to me. And Christopher Nolan is fascinating to me. You know, I was prepared to be disappointed in this. And I found myself really blown away and had a smile on my face the entire time I was watching it. So I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I, I mean, I did view it twice. And I can tell you the second time, a lot of stuff did become a, a lot clearer to me. And like like you said, that's Nolan. Like, he wants to do that. That's what he wants to do in his movies. And he accomplishes it. He makes you really questioning the plot. But then once you piece that all together, you come to a realization. You're like, this guy's brilliant. Like, and I, I know Tenet, obviously, not not as good as Inception, in my opinion, but like I think it was close enough that you know Tenet can keep doing this stuff and super effective. Yeah, I, I personally felt I had to see the film a couple times before I even uh, gave it any sort of review, which I did on, not on Letterboxd, on another thing, but I saw Tenet three times in theaters, and it definitely helped to see it more, but there are still some things that in the end, you're probably not even designed to get that you're supposed to be confused about. And that's definitely Nolan's style. That's You can find that in almost all the movies he makes. And once again, he has a level of consistency that that uh, it's rare for directors to have, in which his films are all a similar vibes. They're, they're all kind of weird, but they're all extremely well made. And you can tell Nolan just played plays with the plays with his films a lot and has a lot of control. Some of the stuff that, some of the scenes that he made in Tenet and the themes of like the colors and some of the acting performances, what he must have done to get uh, some emotions out of those actors. It's it's what I would call masterful directing. And it's, it's really a shame that Tenet had to come out in 2020 because I'm sure it would have been much more popular in a normal year for cinema. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'd like to, you know, I don't I don't think enough people are talking about the performances here. And it, I was surprised by the performances, especially the John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. There's really good Robert Pattinson in this movie. And we don't always get to see him just be a super charismatic, interesting actor anymore. Um, and, you know, that's I like that he's choosing weird roles, but sometimes I do want to see him just kind of get to be a really likable you know interesting person like he is in this movie and uh the opening the first shot of john david washington in this movie is like epic it's like okay this guy's going to be an action star for a really long time i won't spoil it but he just he does something really cool in uh the first time you see him in this movie so yeah all right, great. Uh, so that was those were our thoughts on Tenet. If you haven't seen it, I, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, in my opinion, top 10 movie of the year. We'll talk about that later, though, once we get to the end of the episode. Uh, but So I wanted to discuss next, Soul. So obviously Pixar's 2020 installment, uh, the first Pixar movie to uh, focus on a lead of color which is great especially this year uh we need that 
and it did not disappoint in my opinion. I love Soul, so thoughts on Soul. Yeah, um, Soul is actually definitely one of my favorite movies of 2020. I think it's the best thing that Pixar's put out in a long time. Um, I, I enjoyed that not only was there a, a lead actor of color, um, and by that I mean like Jamie Foxx, lead voice actor, who of course voices a an animated character of color, but what I really liked about uh, Pixar's movie that was kind of revolutionary was that it felt like the first film they did that just catered to the adult audience. There were some deep existential themes. There were some deep uh, metaphysical themes. And in the end, it's a pretty inspiring film that, that intends to give you maybe a, a fresh outlook on life. The voice acting was awesome. The animation was great. And, uh, Pixar definitely pushed the boundaries of their animation on certain scenes with just the amount of, you know, lights and colors that were in there. I'm sure uh, people around the world are going to remember Soul for a while, and it did just come out on Christmas, so it's it, it hasn't got the love it's deserved yet, but it's already been very uh, critically, well-received critically, and um, I, as you can tell, love Soul, so... You boys' thoughts? Yeah, I I love this movie. Um, it's definitely a top ten movie of the year for me, and um, I think its director Pete Doctor, he's a really interesting person. You know, he's made Monsters Inc., he's made Up, and now he's his last couple Inside Out and Soul. He's very interested in these really conceptual, um, existential kind of themes in his movies, and um. I'm shocked at how, you know, this, this is a kid's movie. I think, I think it, there's been a lot said that like maybe kids won't get this movie or it's too heady. I think there's enough that it's going to entertain kids. Like it's just really interesting to look at and there's a lot of fun moments. Um, But I'm shocked at how, you know, deeply this made me think. Right. And this theme of, you know, your purpose in life is, is not, is not, doesn't have to be your career, doesn't have to be your interests, your purpose is to live and enjoy the little moments and, and soak it all up. That's like one of a couple movies this year that um, that has had that theme. And I think it, it was inspiring, um, especially in this crazy year to have that. And um, I just love this movie. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Beautifully done. Yeah, uh, 100% agree with you there. And also, I just want, I mean, what a great move by Disney making this their one the biggest film of the year uh, on streaming. I mean, the advertising for this movie was so heavy and I mean, as it should have been, it was a great movie. I think it was a great way for Disney plus to really not get up there with Netflix, obviously, but just establish themselves as people that could make movies and they keep doing it year after year with Pixar. And it's great. I loved it. It was fantastic. Uh, So moving on, we're going to move on to Mank. That's another one uh, put out by Netflix this year. David Fincher. We saw some Gary Oldman in it. Uh, so thoughts on Mank? Yeah, Mank was, was super well done. Um, I really enjoyed that Mank was shot in black and white. And this was Fincher's first film back in like five years um, directing. Of course, he's a pretty famous director. He did like Fight Club, Gone Girl. I know Sam loves David Fincher. I also love David Fincher. 
this film definitely didn't disappoint. It was it's about uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, who's the writer of Citizen or not Joseph Mankiewicz, Herman Mankiewicz, who's the writer of Citizen Kane, the the true writer of Citizen Kane, um, the screenplay. And Gary Oldman delivers a classic performance. Of course, he's the best actor winning for Darkest Hour. Um, Amanda Seyfried delivers a great supporting actress performance, and Mank kind of teaches you about old Hollywood. It, it caters to the to the film lovers, to the Academy, um, who love those old Hollywood films. And and I loved Mank. It's despite its black and white feel and, and a lot of the like old timey talk, you're never bored throughout the film, and it, it gets pretty political. But I think that at a time like this. A film getting political like that is not necessarily the worst thing. And um, Sam loved this movie more than I did, but I still thought Mank was super quality. And um, it's one of my best films of 2020. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you liked it, John. And um, I I think I I think I like it. Um, you know, I, I I wrote I wrote a lot about it. <laughs> um after it came out and um on letterbox probably too much and um i just I, I didn't really understand the reaction to it um some people were clearly bored by it and um i think that's cuz this movie is made for you know the three of us <laughs> it's made for like people who just love movies love the history of movies you know don't think citizen kane is boring right like I, I, I rewatched Citizen Kane a few days before Mank came out, and it was just like incredible, incredibly rewarding to do that. And um, I don't want to, you know, rehash all the stuff that John said, but I completely agree with it. I think it it's definitely Fincher's most emotional movie. I think he's a director who I love, but is usually very precise, and his movies kind of have a cold heart, and they're very ruthless. This one is not exactly like that. It is it is it, it is very Fincher, but it makes me kind of sad at the end and it, it it's very heartfelt, right? And um I don't often feel that way with his movies. So I think it's kind of an outlier in his filmography. Um I also think it like I agree with people. It is kind of a mess. I think the beginning's pretty bad and I think there's a lot of parts where you're just like where is this going? there's this interesting thing where it becomes more than the sum of its parts because of how fascinating what it's about is right. Like there's, and there's so much that tie into where we are in 2020 with fake news and um, how people in power can influence politics through the media. Right. Um, That I didn't expect to get with this movie. So I think it was a movie that was really different than what people thought it was going to be. But a, a movie that I love, and I, I think it is, it's going to end up aging really well. Yeah, thank you so much, Sam. I mean, yeah, what you said, that was that was brilliant. I thought the same exact things about the movie. Uh, like you said, I thought it got a little too political at times, but, I mean, it can. And I think they did it with respect, honestly, and uh, I thought they did it well. Uh like you said, David Fincher, I love David Fincher. Gone Girl is, I think, severely underrated as a movie. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's cool to see how Hollywood got to where it is today. And, you know, you saw the success last year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, 
people people like this stuff. They like seeing how movies are made, the sort of behind the scenes thing. And this is another one that's you know focusing on the writer and it's glorifying the writer. Uh, one of the most famous films of all time, and it's giving him credit, which I like because you know you got to appreciate the writers. The writers make these movies great, uh, especially something like Mank that is so script heavy. Yeah, Citizen Kane is definitely one of those films. It's one of the most beloved films of all time. And it's a film that kind of needs to have another film made about the making of that film, which is rare. Um, I know they're going to do something with The Godfather, whether it's like a documentary or a fiction film about the making of The Godfather. That's another uh, famous film. But Citizen Kane was, I think it came out in what, 1940s? 41. 41? Yeah, and and the Mankiewiczs are both Joseph and Herman, the brothers, are both famous writers in Hollywood. They they went from from being like playwrights to to getting involved in a lot of best picture, best screenplay winning films. Um, actually, Herman's brother Joseph more than him, but he's a, he's a super fascinating character in Hollywood, and he he's never really talked about because when people think about Citizen Kane, they associate the movie with Orson Welles. And that is one of the themes of Mank. It kind of shows you one of the true forces behind Citizen Kane, not to say Orson Welles didn't have a lot to do with how great that movie was. But that's that's what I appreciated. I learned a lot about the movie Citizen Kane, which I didn't actually know much about the making of. And it kind of gives you a great historical background to the screenplay of Citizen Kane and maybe some of the allegories that it gives. Yeah, I think that's right on the money. And I think... Uh, you know, I could obviously talk about this movie forever, and I've probably been talking about it too long, but I think it's it, they're a fascinating double bill, Citizen Kane and Mank, because Citizen Kane is about a really powerful rich guy who, you know, watched Citizen Kane, but it ends with him being very lonely and kind of kind of he, he he's alone, right? And this is about a guy who's not rich who has nothing but his wit and his writing skills and who's writing the movie Citizen Kane and the way he ends up in the movie, you know, kind of mirrors Citizen Kane, not to spoil it. And that's, that's not a spoiler. It's so much more than that. Um, but I just think they're, they're fascinating to view in context with each other. Um, so yeah, I think you guys are right on the money and, you know, we could talk about this movie for hours because it's so dense. And I think that's why many people had mixed reactions to it because there's a lot to unpack here and not all of it is, you know, on the surface of what you see in the movie. I definitely need to watch this one again. I think it's one that I need to watch again to really appreciate the script and even the shooting of it. Cause like I said, David Fincher, I think he does it brilliantly. Uh, so next one we're going to move on to, we're going to stick with an, ne- another Netflix original uh, a, a, from a director who has worked with David Fincher in the past, Aaron Sorkin, and it's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, really, really powerful film that I think needed to be made, especially this year uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement uh, surging and being so prosperous. Uh, g- crazy good script i mean what else do you expect from sorkin uh the directing is choppy uh we have mentioned that with sorkin i think his stuff is best suited for a director like david fincher uh maybe even like i want i kind of want to see him work with pta i think that would be cool 
Uh, but yeah, Trial of Chicago 7, bunch of stars in it as well. Uh, you got Eddie Redmayne doing an American accent, which you don't see. Uh, Oscar winner Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Keaton makes an appearance. So Netflix really showed their budget uh, this movie. I also want to bring up uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen. I thought he put a, forth a great performance in this as the Black Panther uh, leader. So those are just my thoughts on uh, Trial of Chicago 7. I, I loved it. Uh, it's a fresh watch. I had watched it yesterday, so and I'm glad I did. Uh, so thoughts? Yeah, the, the Trial of Chicago 7, another one of my favorite films of this year. It was, it was billed as this deeply political film with a great screenplay, which is exactly what it was. Um, as Pete mentioned, the directing wasn't, wasn't great, but he's such a good writer that the screenplay kind of saves a lot of directorial areas. And, and a lot of the actors definitely improvised on their own and, and put forth really emotional performances. This film is a true story, which they can be pretty hard to, to pull off sometimes. But I, I, I wasn't alive at the time of the the trials, but it seems like they they did the, the trial of the Chicago 7 justice. And um, yeah, as Pete mentioned, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, I, I didn't really, uh, I don't really know that actor before that, but he put forth the performance that definitely got my attention among the film. But I, I also really enjoyed Sasha Baron Cohen, who we all know him as a comedy actor. He put forth a, a pretty serious performance in this film that, that might get some love later on. I think it's funny that it was released around the same time as the Borat subsequent movie film. Uh, just such different performances to kind of showcase the range of Sasha Baron Cohen. But it, it was a pretty great film saved by great acting performances and, and a good screenplay. Yeah, I think uh, definitely an interesting movie, um, like in terms of Aaron Sorkin as a director, you know, he's he's a fascinating guy. I think I think you guys are right on the money when you say the script is great. The script is great. I think he'll get a, a best screenplay nomination for it. Um, his directing is 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 just a mess. And it's not is not visually interesting for me to look at. That being said, I don't necessarily dislike this movie. Um, I definitely was glad I watched it. And I think you guys have really hit the nail on the head with Yahya Abdul-Mateen. I think he acts circles around everyone in this movie. Although I do think Mark Rylance, Jeremy Strong, and Sasha Baron Cohen are great. Um, but he his performance is like one of the 10 best performances of the year to me. I mean, it's just, you really feel his performance. and. Um, I want to give a shout out to, you know, Succession, the TV show, just Jeremy Strong's in this, Kendall Roy, and also uh, Tabitha um, <laughs> makes an appearance in this, Caitlin, Caitlin Fitzgerald. So that was a great surprise. Succession, probably my favorite show on television right now. And to see both of them in a Aaron Sorkin movie was, was awesome. I mean, yeah, there's there's so much similarity there uh, between like it's, you know, Succession is so script heavy that I think so, someone like Jeremy Strong who does that's a, such an underrated TV performance, his portrayal of Kendall, and like it's it's great that he's getting out into like the mainstream. I mean, you even saw with the Big Short, like that that movie, he's in that as well. It's just so script heavy, and I think he's he's very overlooked, and I. I thought he did great in this movie as well. Uh, probably, like you said, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, like, from an acting standpoint, that was just flawless. I mean, 
he's he's great. Uh, he's also in Watchmen, the HBO show. He's great in that. Uh, I think he's done. He was in The Greatest Showman. He he does a lot, and I think he's one of those actors that is up and coming, uh, as well as the character of Fred Hampton in this, uh, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. That's another actor who I think who I think is really on the rise, and I'm excited to see him work. So that was the uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven, another Netflix streaming film this year that that was that made it big and and used a lot of uh, big names. Uh, next, I think we're going to talk about Sound of Metal, which was similar to Soul, in my opinion, in, in the way that it, it kind of presents a fresh outlook on life, appreciating the little things. Sound of Metal is all about Riz Ahmed. That's, that's what sold the film for me. He, he carries the film with a deeply emotional and dynamic performance. He plays a drummer with hearing loss. Um, and that's on Prime Video. That, that movie... That movie is one of my favorites as well for this year. And Riz Ahmed, that's all I'm going to talk about because he, he carries the film. The rest of the film, there are some really good elements to it. And, and it's a well-made movie in general. But but I think this is Riz Ahmed showcasing his acting talents to the world and putting forth his name for that that coveted Best Actor Oscar. Yeah, I think, you know, I the director's name is Darius Martyr. Um it's either his first or second movie and talk about having sympathy for your actors, right? This is a tough role for Riz Ahmed and he's constantly being given choices to make. Right. And it's, it's a tough role and it's a risky role, right? Like you don't want to, you don't want to make the wrong choice. And all of a sudden this character in a very serious condition is, is kind of, reduced to one dimension and i think this is this is brilliant because it it takes you know we haven't had a lot of great stories about deaf people on film and not only is his character so much more than just a person who becomes deaf right but the characters around him are are multi-dimensional and not just other deaf people right like that's not what this film sees them as and in in a way i see that as a reflection of this movie and i think um, you know, it's not just the movie about the deaf drummer. It's um, it's the movie about Ruben Riz Ahmed, it, it, and it's an incredible. I think he's an incredible character. And I, when I talked earlier about Soul, about that theme, and that there were a couple movies this year, this was the other one I was I was alluding to. And 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 you know what a poignant theme for this year. So I think these movies came around at the right time, and. I'm really impressed with the sound design of this movie. And and again, I'm I love all the choices that Darius Martyr gives Riz on that and he never makes the wrong choice, right? Like it's just a constantly astonishing performance. Yeah, I mean ever since I saw Riz Ahmed in Nightcrawler, I knew he meant business. Uh and I mean this this is one of the best acting performances I've seen in quite some time. Uh, I think, like you said, Sam, he makes all the right choices. Uh, th- the intensity of his emotions at some points in this movie is truly a marvel. Uh, I also thought the actress of Lou, Olivia Cook, uh, she did a great job too. Uh, she's in Ready Player One. That's her biggest thing. I, I like you said these stories of there needs to be more deaf stories out there. Uh, having a theater background, they have incorporated that. 
they're they are making deaf versions of musicals and the show called spring awakening actually won uh best revival of musical i think it was 2015 with a deaf production so yeah it's it's great to see uh deaf stories being told because you know it is a subset of people that can't really communicate but through this movie i think martyr is really communicating like hey we need this and we need to recognize that they are just as much as people as you and even if they can't hear they'll still have a positive outlook on life so and that ending shot is just so powerful i think it's if there was a category for best ending um this would be my my best ending of the year even more than soul i think this film the ending shot just kind of makes the film and without it the film is incomplete but because of that ending shot, I left uh, watching Sound of Metal, thinking about it probably for a month. This, this film had a big impact on me. And um, I think there's a lot of really important themes there. So if you're, if you're interested in the deaf community, it's a very interesting community. If you're interested in, in dynamic characters, then this is a great movie to watch. Yeah, I just, I just want to say that ending, I mean, this was, this was, always a good movie it was probably a four out of five star movie for me and then the ending happened and it's like at least four and a half right like and it's continuing to get better the more i think about it and it's a movie that i had no idea how it was going to end until it did which is an exciting thing and i thought it was perfect so i just wanted to echo that best ending of the year for sure all right so that was sound of metal uh heavy hitter and I'm excited to see what it does in award season. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about The Five Bloods. So this was a Spike Lee film. Came out earlier in the year. I want to say about around June, I think it was, or May. Uh, Netflix release. Crazy movie. Uh, I think it's one that it, 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 transform, it transverses a lot of genres. Uh, I think it's a thriller, a drama, and a comedy all in one. And I think Spike Lee does it really well. Again, another movie that uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, it came out before that all started. And it's great that we have that. And I think it's a great movie to support the Black Lives Matter movement for sure. Yeah, it was definitely made before it all started. I actually remember it coming out in June, like pretty much in the thick of the Black Lives Matter movement, the protests at least. Um and what I enjoyed about this film, the reason I watched it the day it came out was because I really wanted to see that that Spike Lee, Chadwick Boseman collaboration, um, something that I'm sure film lovers hoped for more of, but this is the, this is going to be the only one. Um, and Chadwick Boseman doesn't disappoint in his, in his small role, but on top of that, there's some other just great acting performances, Delroy Lindo. This is a lengthy film and there's a lot of stuff to uncover here. It's it's very emotionally uh, manipulative, I'd say, because at different points of the film, there are, you, you feel comfortable and then you feel uncomfortable. Um, but but The Five Bloods is a classic Spike Lee film and it's one of his best. It's, it's another great film for 2020 and it's pretty indicative of the times. It's, it also reflects heavily on the subject of Vietnam, which Americans are, are divided over, have been divided over since the war. Um, but that subject kind of makes the film and, and gives this, 
this really divisive but also powerful team. Yeah, I, I, and John, John, I think you cut out there for a second for me, but um, I agree with what I with what I heard from you, and uh, I, I just think Delroy Lindo, it's it's hands down the best performance of the year, and just I've never in probably the best performance I've seen the last few years, right? He, he he's just he leaps off the screen. And um but beyond that, this is this is a movie that it's another movie that actually becomes more of more than the sum of its some of its parts. Because I think, you know, it's Spike Lee. It's messy. It's kind of all over the place and probably could use an editor. But at the same time, the things that he's doing on the screen are so incredible, and the acting is so incredible. I thought it was very powerful, and uh, also Chadwick Boseman, great performance in this movie, and also Jonathan Majors um, doing a great job. And I think I, I was surprised about where this movie went, and I think because of Delroy Lindo, it just kind of goes off and follows Delroy Lindo because his performance is so incredible, and. Um, it makes it interesting, right? Like it's kind of uneven because of that, but also like I do want to see Delroy Lindo on the screen at all times. So very interesting movie and uh, definitely one of the most powerful movies I saw from last year. Yeah. I mean, uh, Delroy Lindo, I totally forgot about that uh, when mentioning Riz Ahmed because he, he, I think he, he has it pretty much unlocked. Uh, Delroy Lindo and this is incredible like you said super captivating uh those close-up shots of him walking through the woods that that was brilliant i love that uh yeah i also like the script too it was funny at times it got serious and i thought spike lee did a great job with it uh i love how spike lee's on a comeback love to see it same pete i also love to see it uh so any other movies from the year that came out that want to discuss uh there's a lot of good stuff from 2020 and um, i'm sure we could do many more episodes about it but i think we should at this time get into what we're excited about in 2021 um definitely later on when we cover our best films of 2020 we'll we'll mention some films that we haven't talked about here um but definitely deserve conversations um but for now i think there's a lot that i'm excited for 2021 that's coming out Hopefully a comeback year for cinemas. Hopefully a comeback year for a lot of directors and actors that didn't get to showcase their talents this year. Um, a lot of stuff that was made in 2020 that's slated to be released in 2021. Uh, a lot of stuff that's already been advertised that just didn't make it to the theaters. Um, and because of that, those movies were put on hold for 2021. There's a lot to be excited about in this upcoming year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, even the announcement of Warner brothers releasing their 2021 catalog on HBO max. I think that's crazy. Uh, like you said, streaming services are just taking over so much stuff is being released on them. Uh, and one of those is Dune. Uh, that's something I'm really excited for. Uh, just it's Denny Villeneuve. He knows how to do sci-fi and something with, that much of a spotlight as Dune. Obviously, David Lynch made a version in the 90s that some people say really isn't up to par with the novel, which is based off of. But I mean, I think Denny Villeneuve could do a really great job with it. And he's got a crazy cast, crazy budget on his hands. It's going to be cool, I think. 
yeah, that trailer is, is crazy. Um, you know, I, I have not read Dune. I've not seen the David Lynch Dune. So I was kind of preparing for Dune just, you know, from what I was reading online and on Twitter and the casting news, which also just everyone's in this movie, right? Like obviously Timothy Chalamet is in it, but there's like 20 other famous people that play big characters in this. And uh, that trailer has some, it, it reminds me of Blade Runner 2049, which is a movie that I love. And just Denis Villeneuve is just going for it visually, which is really exciting. And I hope he can pull it off. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, Javier Bardem makes a slight comeback here too. He's he, he was awesome in No Country for Old Men, um, but since then he hasn't he hasn't really popped in anything to me. Um, I probably just haven't watched some of his films, but but this film is is a big budget film and it's it was supposed to be Warner Brother one of their big films of the year. Um, I'm hoping this still gets a theatrical release at a time when people can see the movie in theaters because it seems like it's definitely one of those need to see in theaters movies but but dunes dunes a super exciting project for 2021 yeah uh another one that just like a whole genre that a bunch of stuff is being released in next year is marvel uh and stuff on disney plus i mean marvel's releasing black adam morbius uh was it this, the new Suicide Squad that James Gunn's directing, uh, as well as what's it the uh, Shang Chi and the Legend? Uh, it was one of the things that Kevin Feige announced at uh, when Marvel dropped all that content last year. I mean, so much stuff's getting put out on Disney Plus uh, within Marvel, which is crazy because they're extending the universe after Endgame. Didn't think we could see this, but they're doing it. And I'm excited. I'm, I mean, I'm going to watch all those. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. Spider-Man 3 too, Pete. That's exciting. Oh, that's right. Tobey Maguire is reprising his role, correct? Yeah, I think so. That's, at least that's what they're saying. I hope that becomes true. Um, if so, like, I have no idea what they're going to do for this movie, right? Like, are they doing a multiverse? They have to be. Yeah, they are. Fascinating to me. They, they're bringing back Andrew Garfield as well, who was the other big Spider-Man. Um, and they're actually bringing back a lot of the villains from both the previous Spider-Man series. Wow. Uh, including Electro, uh, including Dr. Octopus, which is really exciting. But I think they're definitely trying to put out kind of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse vibes on a live action scale. Um that, that's an exciting project, as well as I don't think you guys mentioned Black Widow or the new sitcom that's coming out, WandaVision. Uh, also, other Marvel projects, and I'm sure there's more that we didn't mention. Marvel's really breaking out next year, even more than they have in the past, and uh, there's a lot to be excited about there. It may encourage me to keep my Disney Plus subscription beyond the year, uh, because this year, Disney Plus didn't put out that much besides The Mandalorian and Soul that I love. So it should be a great year for for Disney Plus next year. So much content, crazy. There's a ton of Star Wars content coming out around the same time, right? Or is that not until 2022? I think the Obi Wan series is all slated to be released next year. Um, the Mandalorian should start its next season in 2021, uh, as will the Book of Boba Fett, which was which we talked about in the last episode or in two episodes ago. That that is kind of a spin off series of the Mandalorian. 
And there's also, yeah, on top of Marvel, Star Wars is is going to try to expand its universe, and and Disney Plus is is going to try to get some more people to jump on that streaming service. I think it will. Hopefully, all these projects will be successful and be well done. I have faith. So, yeah, they're they're killing it. Yeah, another big one that Marvel's doing is the Eternals. I don't know if you've heard about that one. Uh, that's slated to come out next year. And that cast is crazy. It's like Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Angelina Jolie. There's there's a lot of people in that movie. Uh, even have a Brian Tyree Henry uh, appearance. So that one's going to be huge. Uh, it's, it's a whole new set of Marvel characters that we've never seen. And I like how they're doing that. Oh, I got to talk about the new James Bond movie that was supposed to come out this year. And um, looks, you know, I thought it looked good. You know, Rami Malek, he's in that, uh, as long as well as uh, Ana de Armas. So a lot of exciting young actors in this movie. From the trailer, I really don't understand what it's about, <laughs> but it, it looks really good. And I'm excited to get more Daniel Craig as, as James Bond. I'd also like to bring up uh, The Green Knight, A24 movie with Dev Patel. That was supposed to come out this year, and coronavirus took it away. So... That trailer is incredible, and I can't wait to see uh, see that movie. So, I think this is uh, Craig's last James Bond film, correct? I think so. Yeah. So yeah, that should be awesome. And another element of the James Bond film that always does well is the song. They always bring on like a high profile uh, artist to do the song, which they brought on. I think Billie Eilish for this one. If you haven't heard that that song yet, it's pretty good. Um, and and that should that should get some love at the Academy Awards in 2022, but but James Bond is is another big budget film that was supposed to be released this this year, getting pushed back. A24 on top of the Green Knight also has some some really exciting projects and probably projects that we haven't heard about yet that they're going to release in 2021. I'm sure the later half of the year is going to contain a lot of exciting stuff that isn't even on out on news yet. Um, but also in 2021, I think. Is the Batman movie supposed to be released with with Pattinson, or is it at least supposed to be finished uh, being made? Uh, it's slated to release in twenty twenty one, so we should see that as well. Yeah, that's exciting. And also from twenty twenty one, just I know we're we're kind of rambling here, but we get a new Edgar Wright movie, Last Night in Soho, which you know he always makes fun stuff, and we get Wes Anderson, The French Dispatch which that was also supposed to come out this year and never did. And that trailer's cool. So I think we're kind of going to witness, you know, a flooding of movies that were supposed to come out this year and just never did on top of the movies that were always slated to come out next year. Right. So we're going to get a lot of stuff, which is exciting. Netflix is going to further try to capitalize on this year with, I think they have a Zendaya film that's, uh, critically lauded that's supposed to come out in early 2021 tom holland has a film cherry that's supposed to be exciting in 2021 um i know lynn manuel miranda has a has a musical film for in the heights coming out if you haven't seen the trailer yet it looks really good there's a lot of stuff i'm sure there's stuff i've forgotten about that i'm excited for yeah uh steven spielberg's west side story as well uh a modern installment of the best picture winner so gonna be so much stuff 2021 is gonna be a big year and it has to be uh with 
the lack of films that have come out this year. Yeah, and I think there's a couple movies that came out this year that are like that are going to be a part of the award circuit for 2020 that we won't get to see in theaters until like February. Chloe Zhao's Nomadland is like number one on a bunch of people's lists. And like nobody's seen that movie <laughs> just besides the critics, right? Um, but I we get to see that in theaters. And also um, Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan movie Ammonite, I think it's called, um, was doing festivals last year. And I think just like yesterday became available on VOD. So there's movies that did come out last year that just no one's seen that we'll get a chance to watch in 2021 as well, which is which is cool. So yeah, Nomadland is probably the film I'm, I'm most excited to see that's already come out. Francis McDormand apparently delivers a great performance, um, and I'm sure hopefully those films will be released before the Oscars. I'm sure they will be, um, and then we can all sit around and talk about them. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about there. So some good films coming out. I think at this time we're going to get into our next portion, which is our, we each have our own personal lists of the 2020, 2020 films ranked. Um, all the stuff we've talked about, sure, some of those are going to be on there, but there's also some, some really low-key stuff that you guys should see um, that, that we all loved individually. So I will let Pete start this part. No, at number five, I have Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, we talked about it earlier, just a great script. Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, number four, I have Tenet. Uh, I, know, I know that might be controversial there, but I thought crazy action, some stuff we haven't seen on the screen that we're now seeing. Crazy score. Ludwig is one of my favorites when it comes to that. And I, I love Nolan movies as well. So that's why it's up there. Uh, three, I have The Five Bloods. Mentioned it earlier. Powerful acting. Great directing. Good original story that is uh, very relative to the times. At number two, I have Soul. Loved it. Love what Pixar's doing with their new stuff great way to end the year i think and at number one i have sound of metal uh maybe it's just because this is a fresh viewing i viewed it a few days ago but i mean as someone who used to act i think this is a crazy acting performance uh i think lindo might win but uh i i really liked riz ahmed's performance in this he carries the movie it's a great character study of you know someone that probably wouldn't have a movie made about them uh, i think the only like punk rock movie i'd seen up to this point was green room uh but yeah sound of metal it's fantastic definitely go out and watch it a uh, very low-key movie of 2020 but that's my number one good list beat thank you uh if you'd like to, sam if you want to uh go second feel free uh we'll have you go last we'll have the, our guests go last what about you john yeah and and i think sam actually should go last because he has the most uh interesting list um, from what I've seen, and a lot of stuff actually in his top five that I haven't seen. Um, my top five actually kind of mirrors yours, Pete. I'm going to actually lump Mank and Tenet together at five and six because I don't want to leave one of them out. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, Mank, Mank was my sixth, so. 
and they're so different. Uh, Mank and Tenet are just pretty much the opposite of films. Uh, very different styles of pace, and uh, one is like screenplay heavy, the other is action heavy. Um, but Tenet and Mank, I both consider four star films. Both come from from great directors, and those are going to be my five and six on the year. Then at four, it's a little controversial, but I have Trial to Chicago Seven. Um, despite its its flaws, I thought it was a powerful film and I really enjoyed it. Um, at three, I have Spike Lee's *The Five Bloods*, which we covered already. Delroy Lindo delivers what could be the best actor performance of the year, and um, the movie has a lot of a lot of uh, conflicting themes to it. A lot of conflicting uh, natures between the characters. I really enjoyed that. I was always on my toes. I felt like Every second of the movie, I was just waiting for a character to step on a mine or something. Uh, so that was that was a great film. I have that at number three. At number two, I have Pixar's Soul, um, which should be a lock for best animation at the Oscars. Soul is is inspiring. It is um, captivating. It gets deep existentially and metaphysically. Um, both themes that I enjoy. So so Soul comes in at number two and. As Pete had for his number one as well, I have uh, Riz Ahmed's Sound of Metal. Um, actually, I shouldn't call that Riz Ahmed's. I should call it Darius Martyrs. But but Riz Ahmed kind of makes the film his with his performance. And it was the best performance uh, I saw in 2021. In 2020, uh, Actually, slightly ahead of Del Rolando's, in my opinion. It is kind of hard to compare them. But, but Sound of Metal just left me thinking... And I, I think that is important um, when I consider how I rate films. Just because Sound of Metal left left such a big impact on me and, and was so powerful to me, um, that's going to come in at my number one for 2020. A week year in movies, but there were still some, some awesome movies up at the top there. Uh, and now we'll hand it off to Sam. Yeah, I mean, I think you both have great lists. And, and um, Sound of Metal and Soul, and Mank, are not in my top five, but they're definitely in my top 10, right? And I also thought this was a year where we had a lot of four and a half star, four star movies that like, it was almost impossible to compare them to each other, right? Like we didn't get it. It wasn't like last year where we got The Irishman, we got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like we had a ton of masterpieces last year. I didn't think we had that this year, but we had a lot of really good movies. So it's, it was kind of hard to make this list. Um, so my point is that any three of those movies could be in my top five, and I just decided that they're not. Um, but I want to talk about, at my number five, I'm going to talk briefly about two foreign films that I saw this year. And one of them is Beanpole um, by the director Kantemir Balogov. Um, which if you can't tell, it's a Russian movie. And um, it's set in post-World War II Leningrad, and it's about two female soldiers um, trying to begin their life after the war or restart their life after the war. And it's harrowing, and it's hard to get through. And by the end, I was completely moved by it. And I think it's the uh, supporting actress in that gives one of the best performances of the year. Um, and... Tied for the number five spot is Vitalina Varela, which is a film by Pedro Costa, 
who is, I think, a really interesting filmmaker. Um, he made a movie called In Vanda's Room, um, which I think is pretty masterful and long and about, you know, poor people in Portugal, Lisbon. And I think he all of his movies are pretty much about Lisbon and kind of the people that go unnoticed there. And he, he's a Portuguese director. And um, Vitalina Varela is, again, really long, feels very long. You know, he's committed to slow cinema that's going to weigh on you and make you think. And this one especially was visually the best movie I saw this year. Every, every single shot is a painting in this movie. Um, and I know, you know, we didn't talk a lot about foreign films this year, but there were a lot of really good ones. And I think these two were the best. And, uh, you know, they're not easy films, but, you know, this was not an easy year, right? So um, I just recommend those. And with the caveat that they're, they're not exactly the most, you know, they're not Tenet, right? Like, you have to sit down and kind of let it wash over you. So um, my number four was Time, which is a documentary by Garrett Bradley, um, which I thought was really intimately made um, about a woman whose husband was sentenced to prison for 60 years, and she raises children um, without him and becomes kind of an activist with, without him and I think is really fascinating when it comes to you know measuring lost time and uh, measuring someone's absence and you know which is a theme that we thought about this year a lot with this year kind of being ripped away from us and my number three is uh, Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock which you know could easily be my number one and uh, Steve McQueen made five movies this year that are all on Amazon Prime. And they're all about uh, the same like neighborhood in London. And this one was my favorite. And it's probably the most fun I had watching a movie this year. And it's, you know, I think it's like 80 minutes long and it's just a party. And these people are just going to a, going to a dance party. And that's the movie, right? Like, and the things that happen there are, are, you know, you, you feel like you're there and you, you wonder what these different people's stories are. And it, I just think it's a fascinating movie and the best out of the five that he did. Uh, and my number two is First Cow, which is a movie by Kelly Reichert. And I think maybe we'll talk about Oscar predictions, but this is one that I really hope gets a Best Picture nomination because she's a director that's been making great movies for a really long time. And they've only really been recognized in indie circles, but it's ended up on a lot of best of the year lists and it deserves to be it, there's you know it says a lot about you know entrepreneurship and friendship and how do we use nature to get a get ahead in life and how do we take history on our own terms which is you know that echoes one of the best lines from the movie so i'd really encourage people to watch that it could be a comfort movie it can also be a really uh you know dense and thoughtful movie um that movie is really good. And then my number one is Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is a movie by Eliza Hittman, actually about a young girl from Northumberland County, Pennsylvania, believe it or not, um, who decides that she's pregnant and she decides that she wants to have an abortion. 
and she and her cousin go to New York and that's the movie. That's it. And they, you know, about, you know, it's about how the hoops they have to jump through and how difficult it is for them. And it's in no way preachy and it's in no way like beating you over the head politically. But what it is, is really sensitively shot and I thought very moving by the end of it. And I know I rambled on a lot there, but these are movies that we didn't talk about. um, And they're very important to me. So I think, you know, it's good that we have different top fives and all of these movies are good. Um, So yeah, sorry, I rambled there, guys. No, uh, I really appreciated it, Sam. I've been kind of stalking on Letterboxd and, and saw this list. And of course, I was very intrigued and interested because I haven't uh, seen any of those films except for First Cow. Um, I'm a big A24 guy, so First Cow was one that I that I needed to watch. It wasn't on my list, but but I did enjoy First Cow. Um, a lot of parts of it. It's definitely a slow burn, but but First Cow's another. It's going to be an important uh, important movie in this upcoming awards race, just to kind of gauge what the Academy is looking for this year and if they're willing to uh give indies some love because this year was a weird year for movies there weren't a lot of great big budget films that came out so i think indie films this could be a big year for indie films um when it comes to the oscars and i think it's important before we we get into this next section the uh the oscar prediction section where we're each going to make um kind of our predictions for some of the big awards categories based on what we've seen already it's important to understand that the Academy Awards got pushed back for next year, so it's 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 still a while before the Oscars are going to happen. So I'm sure the race is going to heat up. There's some contenders that we haven't seen yet um, that might end up winning in the end. But and and also the Academy Awards are rarely go to the the films that people think are the best for each category. Um, and that's just that's just how it goes. But but there's a lot of stuff that we might think is is the best now, like. We might uh, say Riz Ahmed's performance is the best, but because Delroy Lindo's in a big Spike Lee film, and and it might cater the Academy more to to give him that award. Um, so I'm going to be making my predictions based on what I think the Academy is going to do, not necessarily what I think was the best in each category. Um, and I'm sure you guys can do it your own way, but I'm actually going to predict based on what I think is going to win, not what I think is the best. So are we ready to get into our Oscar predictions? Let's do it. I think uh, we can start with an easy category, the best animated category. We probably all have the same exact prediction for this one. It might be the easiest film to predict of the year, uh, easiest category, and that that would be Pixar's Soul, um, a film that we've talked about. John, John, no, it's Trolls World Tour, man. What are you talking about, bro? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Trolls World Tour, but but I I must get on. No, no, it, it's Soul. You're right. Not even close. This was a pretty bad year for animation, but but I I haven't seen Trolls World, so that's funny. You got me laughing. Um, yeah. So Soul, there. You guys both agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I if something this big budget and something that was this heavily advertised doesn't win animated feature and it's Pixar, something's up. Uh, I mean, they won. They won last year for Toy Story Four, so or two years ago. I forget. It was last year. Was, yeah. But 
It was last year. Okay, so yeah, Pixar's gonna win back to back. So we'll see that this year for sure. They deserve it. Yeah, they do. Next, do you want to go best actor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we discussed this. Delroy Lindo, Riz Ahmed. I think they're gonna be the two main contenders for this category. Uh, like you said, I mean, I do think they're gonna give it to Delroy Lindo. It is a Spike Lee movie. Delroy Lindo has been acting for a while, as opposed to Riz Ahmed, who, I mean, Riz Ahmed has been acting for a while as well, uh, but oftentimes the Academy does give it to the person who is older, even if they do do an equal performance, but, I mean, like I mentioned, I think Riz Ahmed puts forth a better performance. It, it, they are very different movies, though. Riz Ahmed's is a character study. Delroy Lindo's is a fantastic story, so there's that to consider as well, but I mean, I think Del Rolando will win for this. Yes, I'd completely agree. Um, I think the Academy's going to give some uh, much-needed Spike Lee love. He hasn't gotten that much love from the Academy in his time as a director. And although this award isn't going to him, in a way it is, um, because he he masterfully directed the film, um, he, he has a lot of control over his films. Um, but Del Rolando definitely definitely carried a lot of the film and, and broke out. Um, so this, yeah, the best actor will probably go to Delroy Lindo. Of course, I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that, that also might get nominated. I know there's a Tom Hanks film coming out, News of the World, but uh, it seems like Delroy Lindo has it unlocked for now. Yeah, and just to, I think Delroy is going to win too. And I, I think he, as much as I love Riz, I think he deserves to. But I think there is a world in which Riz does pull this out. And I think that's purely because it came out so much later in the year, right? Like the Academy doesn't vote until, I mean, when are the awards? April this year? So that's going to be over. Oh, maybe, I guess it's not quite a year since the, the Five Bloods came out. But the only reason I can see Riz Ahmed winning is is uh, voter fatigue for Delroy. So, um. I mean, we should give it to both of them. They're both so good. But, um, yeah, I think you guys are right. Delroy's going to win. But I also think um, we did talk about Mank. I think Gary Oldman probably gets a nom for this, too. Um, and, and probably Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, too, which is another big film I don't think any of us have seen yet. That was a Netflix uh, project. And then Anthony Hopkins also has a film called The Father, which I haven't seen yet, but was also critically lauded. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, interesting debate in this category, but for now it seems Del Rolando. We probably all agree. Uh, it's his. It's his to lose at this point. Yeah, I agree. Best actress thoughts. One of the best performances I saw this year was Julia Garner in The Assistant, um, which I thought was a really tight, um, tense Me Too drama, where she's serving as an assistant to kind of like a Harvey Weinstein-esque figure and she I mean she's on screen like 100% of the movie and she's terrific in it and I'm trying to think of other great performances but that's one I, I don't have anything in front of me right now that's that's one that when you asked that question just jumped out at me Julia Garner from Ozark just killing it and just feels like an actress who will definitely win an Oscar one day if it's not for this what other ones do you guys think of no, I just want—I do like Julia Garner, so I'm definitely going to give that a watch, the assistant. Uh, but I was just going to say, John, you mentioned it earlier. 
uh nomad land i'd seen the trailer for that uh obviously hasn't hasn't come out yet but i mean it just looking at that it's a character study movie it's francis mcdormand she's already she already has two oscars why not make it three uh i mean it she did win for three billboards a few years ago so they might give her some time but i mean it seems like a movie that you know once i watched that i thought wow they're making this so that she can win the Oscar, <laughs> like, uh, but who knows? Uh, but as of now, I mean, the movie hasn't even come out yet, so this is just speculation. But yeah, I was gonna completely agree with you, Pete. Um, I was gonna say Nomadland. I haven't seen it yet. We, none of us have, but it just seems like that seems like the most um, safe option to go with for what I think is gonna win Best Actor at this uh, Best Actress at this point. Frances McDormand is is awesome, um, and I'm sure she. She does an awesome job in this movie, so why not Francis McDormand again? Um, so that's going to be my pick, Nomadland. Although there are a lot of great actress performances in indie films this year, um, which hopefully some of them get some love. I haven't seen The Assistant, but it's definitely on my watch list, and and that film's been given a lot of love in the indie circles. So I hope that that at least gets a nom. Yeah, I think you guys are right. I think, again, it's Francis McDormand's to lose. Um, I totally keep forgetting that there are movies that are going to be considered that we haven't seen, right? Like we won't see Nomadland for another month or so. And, uh, but from what I'm hearing, just, you know, on what's on people's end of the year list, she's going to win it. And um, there's also a movie coming out on Netflix soon called pieces of a woman with Shia LaBeouf. But a lot of people um, on Letterboxd have been talking about the lead performance by Vanessa Kirby, who was in, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, and she's in a bunch of stuff, but that's just the last thing I think I saw her in. Um, so I guess that's another one to look out for. But it certainly feels like Frances McDormand is is going to win this one. That brings us to um, a category that that is split in two and deserves to be split in two because screenplay is an important part of films. But there's there's the best adapted screenplay Oscar and then there's the best original screenplay Oscar. I think we might not be able to get solid predictions now, but there are a lot of good screenplays we've talked about that that could get some love from the Academy this year. And I'm gonna start off by saying I think Mank wins a screenplay award. Um, it would be best adapted screenplay or best original. I'm not sure. Best original. I think it is original. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a book or anything first. Um, and and that was that was a, a really good screenplay. The screenplay was what stood out uh, from the film to me. And so I think Mank, Mank gets its love from the Academy in that form um, of a screenplay award. And then uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 is also a, a big front runner for me in that category. The screenplay was, was fire. Aaron Sorkin's awesome. And um, so those are my predictions for some screenplay noms yeah i mean any any sorkin strip script that takes place in a courtroom is going to be uh pretty popular uh and i think it should be uh and i think the academy needs to recognize that uh i mean we've seen it with a few good men even in the social network some of like some of his dialogue in the courtroom was was nice uh so yeah i think those exact ones john trial the Chicago 7 and Mank. Uh, we see it a lot with Sorkin and Fincher. They usually get these screenplay nominations. So I'm excited to see where that goes. 
Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I, I think you guys are on the money. I do think my gut is going to say that Trial of Chicago 7 is going to win this one, just because I think Mank is 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 very convoluted to some people and not always pro Hollywood, right? So I don't know if the Hollywood voters are gonna are gonna love that and reward it. However, it is lauded with film history, and that is kind of candy to them. So we'll see. I, I'm just I'll, I'll take the counterpoint here just to make it interesting. But they're both great. All right. So that was uh those were our predictions for the screenplay awards. Um, another big one. One of the big five is Best Director, which has a lot of good uh, entries this year. I think we we talked about First Cow a little bit. I think that one actually could win Best Director um, for Kelly Reichert, who hopefully gets some love. I didn't love some aspects of the film, but I thought the directing was, was pretty masterful. Um, and of course, as Sam said, this film's already received a ton of love in indie circles and is and is regarded as one of the best films of 2020 in a lot of communities. Um, so that's going to be my early prediction for Best Director. Of course, maybe Nolan might get a nom here. Um, maybe maybe Fincher gets a nom. I doubt Sorkin gets a nom. I, I mean, I hope he doesn't for Best Director. Maybe Spike Lee gets a nom for, for The Five Bloods. There's a lot of good entries here. But my, my prediction is going to be Kelly Riker for First Cow at this point. Yeah, John, I, I love that that's your pick. I love Kelly's movies. She's definitely an, an acquired taste, right? Like her films move slow. You know, she makes slow movies about nature and friendship, right? And if anyone's interested in checking out more of her movies, I would recommend Meek's Cutoff, which is, I think, still on Hulu, which I think is like one of the 10 or 15 best movies of the last decade, but is kind of long and, and slow and expects a lot out of you. And, um, I think it's a better movie than First Cow, but First Cow is great. And I I hope she wins. I kind of, I think this is going to be the time they give it to Spike Lee. And it just, it just feels like, you know, they like Spike Lee and, and, and um, I don't think Fincher's going to get it. I think it's a, makes a little bit too much of a mess. I would be happy if he got it, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say Spike Lee for the, the Five Bloods. I think the Academy really likes that movie. But if Kelly Reichert wins, I, I will jump for joy. Okay, so that was those were our predictions for Best Director. Obviously a big uh, award. We'll see where that goes uh, with the new movies coming out. I know Chloe Zhao is also getting some praise for Nomadland. So we'll see. Uh, next one is Score. Uh, best Original Score. Ludwig. Yeah, I I think I think it's gonna be Tenet. Uh Living Gordonson, crazy score. I've actually listened to it aside from the movie and it has so many elements that are just so advanced and so far ahead of other composers today that it would be a shame for him not to win. And uh I mean he's won for Black Panther, so the Academy likes him, likes what he's doing. And I, I we need Ludwig to get another Oscar. Let's do it. Yeah, that's my prediction as well. Uh, Ludwig Gordonson, great composer. He's already won for Black Panther, and I think he takes his second Oscar with Tenet. Um, although I'm also going to predict that Soul gets a nomination for Best Score. That was a great soundtrack. Um, 
but this is this is Ludwig and, and it seems like a pretty sure thing to me unless the academy sees something else that that they somehow like more than Ludwig I don't know how you could like anything more than Ludwig yeah I think you guys are right I mean the score is so good that sometimes it's distracting in that movie right like you can't really understand what the characters are saying and it doesn't really end up mattering to you right like but I agree Pete I've been listening to that score since I finished Tenet the other day and it's amazing I I think Soul and I think Mank are going to be runners up here both by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross the Nine Inch Nails and uh you know they had a good year two movies that I think will get nominated for best score and that leads to our last one uh Let's talk about Best Picture. Uh, I know we said our top five movies of the year, but obviously that's subjective. So let's get each of your objective picks for Best Picture at the moment of the stuff that's come out. Pete, you didn't want to talk about the uh, Supporting Actor and Actress Awards first? I mean, yeah, we can we can discuss that, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll start with Best Picture, though. That it's always the most heated debate and it's always the most popular debate. There's always a debate for Best Picture. Um, because normally, almost all the films that are nominated have received a lot of love from a lot of people. And at that point, it just comes down to like taste and objective opinion. Um, this is the hardest category to predict, in my opinion, at this point, just because there's a lot of great films from a lot of great directors. I haven't seen it, but... Just because, as Sam mentioned, there hasn't been many like five-star films yet that, that really popped out. I think Nomadland has a chance to be one of those films. Um, and Chloe Zhao's received a lot of love for her directing, Frances McDormand for her acting. So that's going to be my pick as of now for the Best Picture winner, um, Nomadland. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with John. It just feels like that's the movie that everyone's agreeing on this year. Uh, at least all the people that have seen it, right? And um, she's, you know, it could be the start of a fascinating career for Chloe Zhao. I know she's had other movies, but this feels like her big, you know, breakthrough. And um, she's actually directing The Eternals, which comes out next year, the Marvel movie, which is just like a fascinating next step after making this this uh, Frances McDormand, you know, seemingly quiet, um, small scale movie that is going to get critical acclaim, which Marvel's movies often Marvel, Marvel movies often don't. Um, I, th- I think it's going to be Nomadland. I, I just, I love first cow. I think it'll be nominated. I don't think it's going to be enough to win. So yeah, I agree with you, John. Pete, you have any opinions on this one? I mean, I have, again, we haven't seen Nomad Land, but yeah, I, it's probably going to be that. Uh, I could see The Five Bloods obviously getting a nomination, Trial of Chicago 7, Manked, all the ones we've discussed. Maybe even Soul, I think. I think Soul will get a nomination. And I think, honestly, I think Soul is like a runner up. Like, in terms of, it just feels like one of those movies everyone can agree on. And that doesn't always. You know, I think last year, Parasite winning, that's a case where everyone agrees on it and it wins. That doesn't happen a lot, right? So it'll be interesting to see what they do choose. I mean, honestly, I can see them picking Trial of the Chicago 7, you know? A movie that feels kind of Oscar-y, 
but probably is not the best movie of the year. Yeah, and sometimes that happens. Um, it's a super, it's a super uh, hard category, um, and and the Academy definitely always struggles with picking uh, whatever wins in this category. Nothing was so fabulous that that it, it stood out this year, um, in the sense that there were like four or five awesome like five star movies I would say last year. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I really like Joker in 1917. Parasite was awesome. Um, but but for this year, it might take something to jump out. Whatever jumps out at the page to uh, the most of the voters for the Academy. Um, and Soul's, Soul could be that. But but yeah, it seems like Nomadland right now. We'll see. That brings us to the Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress categories, which are, which are small um, but important. I do actually have some pretty concrete picks for these ones, um, and I'm just going to lay them out. It seems to me that the Academy kind of really wants to give Chadwick Boseman love, and, and everyone wants to give Chadwick Boseman love. He deserves some, and I think that that could come in the form of a Best Supporting Actor win for Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, um, which I could see as a movie taking home the most Oscars this, this uh, award season. Chadwick Boseman, in, in his small role, was very powerful and was very impactful. Um, and then for Best Supporting Actress, I could see Amanda Seyfried for Mank. She was dynamite in that movie and very alluring as a character, very captivating. Played uh, off of Gary Oldman super well. So those are my picks. It's going to be Chadwick Boseman for The Five Bloods, Best Supporting Actor, and Amanda Seyfried for Mank, Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, I... I think um, I think Chadwick will win. I I hope it's for The Five Bloods. That being said, I haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And it seems like a lot of people are saying his performance in that is pretty incredible too. So he's got kind of two shots at it. And I'm sure that one of them will be enough to, to win. You know, that an incredible loss last year. He, he really one of the most important actors of our generation. And I'm so glad this year we got two great performances out of him. Um, and I think Amanda Seyfried has it locked up um, on the on the women's side. But I want to say I hope Maria Bakalova gets nominated for Borat too. Like, just what she has to do in that movie, and she's constantly hilarious. I mean, I I, I honestly think she's more funny than Sasha Baron Cohen in that movie. Not that he's not funny, but he she is. She does the most outrageous stuff, and it, it, I just think it's worthy of consideration. I really would, it would really put a smile on my face if, if she got a nomination. So, fingers crossed for that. That, that would be awesome. But it certainly feels like it's Seafreed's to lose. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with both of you there. Uh, Chadwick Boseman and Amanda Seyfried. I think I haven't not seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom yet, but I need to. I heard he puts forth a great performance in that. Uh, so I think it's either going to be that or The Five Bloods, uh, as well as Amanda Seyfried. I thought she did a great job in Mank. Uh, something that's, you know, different for her. Uh, she's starting to break out of that mold of like the Mean Girls and those movies, Mamma Mia and stuff. So I'm excited to see where she goes with her career. Uh, so I think to that end, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, again, Sam, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, you provided some great picks that, you know, maybe we haven't heard of. I haven't heard of a lot of those. Uh, 
especially the foreign ones. And I know I'm looking forward to watching them as, and I hope our audience is as well. Yeah, Sam, seriously, man, thanks for coming on. Um, I definitely hope to meet you in person sometime and uh, definitely bring you on some more on this podcast. You offered a lot of valuable input. Um, and I know you're just as big of a film lover as us. So it's, it's pretty cool to get the three of us together talking about um, what the year that was 2020 um, in films and um, just, just a good quality episode. I really enjoyed having you. So thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks guys. I, you know, means a lot that you have me on, you know, I letterbox is great, but there's, you know, there's nothing like talking about movies in person. Right. And especially this past year, we didn't get to leave the theater and talk about stuff. So um, I always love talking about it. Uh, if you guys invite me back on, I, I'm in 100%. Don't hesitate. So, and, you know, again, just I love the pod. So honored to be on and uh, keep keep up the good work. I love it. So thanks a lot. QB Halloween super fan. Where are you? We, we want to meet you. Um, if you are out there, QB Halloween super fan, we hope you're listening and uh, we hope you want to send us some more stuff because we are curious as to what you have to say or what other criticisms you have. Yeah. Uh, but that's enough of Hebe Halloween super fan talk. Uh, let's wrap this episode up. Uh, we'll be back next week. Not sure what we're going to cover, but we'll have some good content for you and yeah, great episode. Great way to end the year. That wraps up this week's episode of splash of cinema. Signing off, I am John. I'm Pete. See you guys next week.